This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. Friends, as we all know, life in the modern world can be pretty tough sometimes. Whether it's that overwhelmed feeling caused by the 24-hour news cycle or that exhausted keeping up with the Joneses marathon that many people feel like they're running on a daily basis, or simply trying to get by day in and day out. The good news is that there are now platforms designed to provide us with the support we need. Our sponsor, BetterHelp, is a wonderful resource that's purposely designed to be accessible and personalized to your exact specifications. With the click of a button, you can sign up and be matched with a professional of the highest standards, a specialist that can be an unbiased support system throughout your week and beyond. And BetterHelp goes out of its way to ensure that your needs are met. If the professional you're matched up with isn't working out, BetterHelp will work tirelessly to match you up with someone who will. Here at 20-Sided Gamified, we fully and readily support our listeners' goals of living healthy, fulfilling lives filled with laughter, fun, gaming, and stories to pass on from generation to generation. We are proud to have a partnership with BetterHelp, and we hope you'll look into this wonderful opportunity and resource at a time where we all may need a little boost. Signing up for BetterHelp has never been easier. Go to betterhelp.com slash 20sidedgamified to learn more and sign up at a 10% discount for your first month. You can also gain access to BetterHelp through the link provided in our show notes. Thank you so much. All right, 20-Sided Gamified podcast fans. What's up, guys? I hope everybody is doing well. This is your host, Jared, here. Um, so uh, hopefully this episode goes well. I'm looking outside my window right now. I think if you listen to this podcast, you probably heard me talk about this before. I don't know what it is. Um, well, actually, I probably do, but I'm not going to say it here because I don't want to ruffle feathers. But um, the amount of rain that we get where I live in Connecticut is kind of, at this point, apocalyptic. I feel like every weekend it's raining. And it just so happens that there is this like horrific storm that hit us last night. Um, internet seems to be good now. Uh, my guest is smiling, so I think that you know he's feeling confident that we're going to be able to do this. Um, and I really want to do this. And there's a whole bunch of different reasons why. So here's the thing, right, as a little introduction. Okay, don't get me wrong. I mean, I play lots of games, um, and there's something about beer and pretzels games that are fun. Like, just sitting down, having, like, literally a page of rules, you know, having a beer, throwing your dice, um, arguing with your opponent, and just really, like, having fun. There, I love games like that. But I also, given that I'm a teacher, and look, I, I say this, take this with a grain of salt. I mean, I am an academic. I mean, I have a lot of college degrees, right? I'm overly educated. Um, so, like, there are certain rule sets that appeal to me kind of as like an intellectual or an academic. And years ago, I don't remember exactly when this was. It was definitely when I was at my old school at Hackley. And I had just got this collection of Vietnam miniatures. And a lot of my students were really interested in the, in the time period. And I started kind of poking around the internet. I started asking around, you know, because it's kind of a unique, uh, it's a unique conflict in a lot of ways. And you kind of need unique rules for it. 
And everybody seemed to say, you got to check out this game called Charlie Don't Surf by, uh, I don't know, like, I think our guest will explain this better than me, but like, uh, the two fat lardies are lots of things. You know, they're a game club, they're a company, um, a bunch of friends friends that game, and they put these, these rules out. And what I can say is this, having played most games out there, there is a sophistication to this particular set of rules. And you almost can smell the innovation when you flip through the pages of the game based on the way the mechanics worked. And ultimately, I could just go on and on and on about the number of different rule sets they've put out. I mean, I was doing a little research in advance of this and just thinking about the conventions I go to and whether it's like, what a cowboy or what a tanker, I ain't been shot, mom, you know, the World War I game. A chain of command. Um, there's just so many games that they've put out that are all interesting in different ways. And I have to say, like, I don't want to, I don't, again, I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, swell Richard Clark's ego that much <laughs> as he looks at me as I'm doing this monologue. But there is some credit that needs to kind of be put out there because this is a very, very, very interesting person. This is a really, really important person in the hobby. And it's just a real honor. Uh, so here we go. Uh, the real introduction. Richard Clark from TFL or Two Fat Lardies. Hello, Richard. Hi. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's nice to have you. It's uh, I, I'm not going to lie. I felt a little uh, trying to find the right word here. I mean, it's just a real like honor that you actually listen to this podcast and seem to like it. It's very cool. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 and, and I hate to say it, but I don't listen to an awful lot of podcasts because, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I, I tend to find that... Um, um, uh, I don't have as many hours as I'd like to, but I really enjoy yours, and I like the fact that you you talk about um, the use of gaming in an educational situation, which is something that, yeah. that we've been involved in. I like the fact that you talk to a variety of people, be they people, you know, uh, manufacturing figures like Leon at Pendraken, or you, you oh, talk yeah. to designers, and I think that that variety keeps it fresh. And the fact that you're you're not specific, you're talking about the hobby in general. You're not yeah. you're not bigging up one particular product, you know. So yeah. um, if if I was running a podcast aimed at solely promoting Chain of Command, that is precisely a podcast I would not listen to. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. That's pretty funny. No, totally. Look, I not to be morbid, uh, but look, I mean, you know, we have, we have an we don't have an infinite lifespan, at least not yet. I guess Elon Musk hasn't figured out how to take our consciousness and put it into like a device at this point. But I don't know. I just. In all seriousness, I mean, I don't really make a lot of money from this. I mean, it really is kind of a pet project. I hope that if somebody wants to know something about games, and there's a lot of not very good podcasts out there, I just hope that at some point or another, if somebody wanted a holistic look at what games are, miniatures, role-playing, everything, that they can do a one-stop shop at my, my at my show. That's That's kind of the goal, you know? Um, well, you're, you're achieving it. You're, you're achieving it in, in terms of that's exactly the way I think of it. So you're, yeah. you're uh, if that's your objective. There's a box ticked there. Well done. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, I'm not that interesting. So let's. I want to focus on you, <laughs> Richard. I'm definitely you're, not that interesting. Oh no, you are. You're. I don't know. Like uh, you have a, a really interesting reputation in the gaming world. I mean, you, you were saying before we even kind of came on that you and I are very similar in that you're very honest and you're very direct. And maybe sometimes people don't like honesty, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean. Um, Especially when they ask for it and don't like the honesty you give them. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know. It, it's like if you don't want an answer, don't ask the question, right? Yeah. Um, well, look, uh, I guess maybe we should start here. You know, I, 
with this podcast, I often like to start with just getting a sense of who the guest is. So, so Richard, in terms of you and games, mm-hmm. where does your sort of journey start? Where, when did you kind of get into the hobby? Um, I, I always say that I kind of never started wargaming and I've never stopped wargaming. That was some of my first toys were toy soldiers. Yeah. Um, my dad had uh, been a pilot in, with the RAF in the Second World War. Okay. My, granddad, my granddad had fought in the First World War. And so, you know, the idea that war toys were not appropriate was something that didn't really, uh, had not appeared on their radar. So fr- from a child, I was, uh, I mean, my dad taught me Morse code when I was about seven because <laughs> he was convinced that I would end up you know, having to go to war as right. well. And all kinds of stuff. In fact, I've still got my little Morse code tapper over on my bookshelf over there, but as a bit of a bit of a memory. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've kind of always played with toy soldiers. But wargaming, really, I was 11 years old, and in the UK, at 11, you go to big school, senior school, um, and uh, I went in the library and I found a book by Don Featherstone. And for anybody of my generation, that is almost the sort of ubiquitous shining star that illuminates the heavens that are wargaming is Don yep. Featherstone and his books. And uh, I was I was blown away by it. And uh, I started dabbling um, with uh, the, the toy soldiers I already had. Uh, um, and um, gradually changing to things like the Patrick Stevens Limited Airfix guide war games rules that were published in the in the 70s and that I found tremendously complicated as a kid especially as I was solo gaming because I, I just couldn't find anybody to game with in fact I didn't really I didn't really put it out there that I was looking because yeah. uh, it wasn't really that cool when you were at school to be doing that yep. and and my other interests really include things like playing rugby and and girls and and all that stuff and it was kind of like do I think I'll tell them about the rugby and the girls and yeah. maybe mention the toy soldiers <laughs> yeah and, <laughs> so I, I totally hear of, you on that yeah so I sort of solo gamed my way around by uh my teenage years, and um, had a bit of a dabble writing rules, but what I wasn't doing was enhancing the rules I was using. I was dumbing them down mm-hmm. because the, the, the war games were really happening in my head. I was imagining the narrative that went along with the games that I was playing. And it was only when uh, I was 18 I moved to where I live now, just outside London, a place called St Albans, and uh, I bought a property there, and so I was really, really skint. Um, and uh, so I was looking for things to do, and there was an advert in um, Military Modelling Magazine saying, it was just like three lines, new club started, why don't you come and join us? Here's a phone number. So I right. phoned them, and, uh, and the guy answered the phone, and he said, look, you know, this is where we're going to meet. We're going to meet in the loft in my house. So I went round there, and after a few weeks, we had too many people, and his wife said, "Get these idiots out of my loft." <laughs> and uh, so we went and got a room above a pub, and then found another room in a community centre. And we've kind of been doing that ever since. And um, that that club was very much one where um, the guys who were running it were in their thirties, whereas the majority of us at the time were late teens. Um, and one of the guys was a teacher, actually, and he used to say, right, no, nobody under 18 can come. He said, I, I have enough of these 
revolting children all that long. And so I, I, I want to keep this for adults. So we, we had an interesting group, but the, the emphasis was very much on writing your own rules for different periods, different ideas that you had. So I kind of started writing my own rules um, and very much saw that as being the norm. And I think it's interesting that if you go back to the 1980s when you were in your local club, you were in a cocoon, you were sealed off in this hermetically sealed bubble where you really didn't know what was happening at the club up the road. Um, and so your experience was what you thought the hobby was, whereas up the road, maybe the club up the road were playing a load of competition games in 15 mil. But right. We didn't do any of that. In fact, I know they were. The club, the next club up the road, about 12 miles up the road, used to run a huge competition um, show every year because that was their gig. And there we were, just a handful of miles down the road, not doing that at all. So, right. yeah, my, for me, my journey was extraordinarily ordinary, but it, it would seem that, that it wasn't, that the people that I'd fallen in with just happened to be quite a bunch of innovators. Yeah. Um, and these are still your friends today? But, uh, you know, um, friends are like the baggage carousel at an airport. They're with <laughs> you for a time and then I'll make that. Um, but yeah, yeah. some of <laughs> as, as long as you're good at making friends. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Some of the guys are still there. I mean, like, and Nicholas came along to... Nick's about five years younger than me, so he came along, he came along to the club when he was 16 and somehow he snuck in under the radar at an early right. age. So, um, by the way... I hate to interrupt, but um, yeah. so you live in St. Albans? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's so funny that you that, that that's where you're from because I've been reading so much about the War of the Roses. Oh, yeah. And, you know, yeah. those first couple of engagements sort of being there, you know? Yeah. It's pretty no, wild. Yeah, I was, um, I was sat in a, in a, pub, a pub garden a couple of summers ago reading a book that I just bought about a walking tour for the War of the Roses. Yeah. And I thought, well, I've really got to find out about this because I live here and I've lived yeah, here. Yeah. It's my, <laughs> my adopted hometown. Right. And I'm sat in the pub garden reading about it. And it says, oh, this happened here. This, And I suddenly realized the action they were talking about was happening exactly yeah. where I'm sitting. And that's it's great. Like, wow, that's mind-blowing. How, uh, how far are you from London? Um, uh, 20 miles as the crow flies. Okay. Um, it literally takes 19 minutes on the train from St. Albans Station to, yeah. to central London. So we're literally just outside London. Oh, that's super cool. But, but we're quite rural, so it's it's nice to have that sort of yeah. contrast. And we you were can saying, get culture if we want it. But, yeah, but, and you were saying before we had come on that, yeah. I mean, Two Fat Lardies really is, it's your profession at this point, right? For, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess it's been for a, a number of years. Yeah, we can't quite work out when. Um, yeah. I, um, we, my wife and I were trying to work. She reckons it's 17 years since it's okay. since I, um, I went full-time. When we, when we first started it, we only accidentally published a set of rules. I used to write a lot for Wargames Illustrated magazine, and I'd written an article and said, hey, you know, these are, these are the set of rules that we're developing for the Second World War. Um, you know, if you're interested, drop me an email. And... Um, People did, and I'd I'd send them the copy along, and and it got to the point where the people were saying you've got to publish, and we just we didn't really want to do it. But yeah. in the end, it got to the point where so many people were saying it, we thought, oh well, let's let's just do it, and we did. And uh, I found myself very rapidly trying to run two businesses at the same time, and it just that doesn't work. So right. after about four years doing that, um, I decided that I, I it, this would become the full time 
uh, career. Yeah. And, um, it has. That, so, I, I mean, it's kind of a weird question because, yeah. I mean, I don't even know how you would answer this, but you must huh. know, you must hmm. know how interesting your games are, right? Meaning there's just something extremely, even if you don't play them, right? There's something exceedingly vibrant about your games. Meaning when you flip through, I'm trying to find the right word here. It's almost like the innovation just kind of slaps you in the face. Because I do think that your games are different than a lot of other games out there. Which, I I mean, I, I don't know if you ever think about your rules that way. But they're very different. Well, I think dare to be different is um, is kind of a, a good motto, a good mantra for life. I mean, we yeah. we um, we didn't do it just to be different, but what we did was when we set out at the very beginning, you know, developing. Funnily enough, Charlie Don't Surf was the first set of rules we started working on. It wasn't yeah. the first set we started we published, but because uh, it t- took ten years before I was happy with Charlie Don't Surf was in the place where I wanted it to be because right. of the asymmetrical nature of, oh, the, yeah. of the conflict. And that was something I struggled uh, to, to get right. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm relatively happy. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly old rule set now. I mean, uh, yeah. I hate to think how old it is, but um, it um, it's it's in black and white. So, I mean, that's it's at least 13, 14 years yeah. old. Yeah, no, that um, makes sense, yeah. Um, but it... Uh, uh, it took a long time to get get that to the point where I wanted it to. I think, I mean, I don't know, we've got a product here called Marmite. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they the advertising campaign for this product, you spread it on toast, is yeah. you love it or you hate it. And people yeah. do. My, my kids love it. I loathe it. I, I absolutely hate it. Yeah. Um, I don't just dislike it. I actually hate it. It's an Australian and, thing, isn't it? No, that's Honestly, Vegemite. Which oh, is, that's what I'm thinking of. Is, okay. Which is pretty much the same. Funnily enough, uh, my daughter's currently on a plane back from Australia, and I, I said to her, <laughs> "Don't bring me any Vegemite." I don't want to. So, uh, um, so but, do you find that that's what people think about your rules? Like, yeah, either kind definitely. of a love or hate. You know what's yeah. really funny? I mm. like. Mm. So I play music on the side. It's just something that I enjoy yeah. doing. Mm. I I almost enjoy as as much as I like being liked. There's something about also not being liked because obviously you've done something that has set something off in that person that's either listening to your music or playing your game. So I don't know, man. I I think it's kind of a cool thing, you know? You're challenging. You're challenging them. The thing about wargaming is if you say to 100 wargamers in a room, would you like innovation in your, your games? They'll say, hey, I love innovation. I really want as much innovation as you can pack in into my game. Yeah. And then you give them innovation, and they go, oh, "I don't like that. I like I like what I'm familiar with." But they, yeah. but, but I, I did a lecture the first time I went to Historicon. They asked me to to do a lecture in this uh, thing that they called the Academy. I think it was the Academy, anyway. Uh, but you, you you go along and you you do a lecture and whatever. And I yeah. I did a talk about friction, and um, <clears throat> at the end of it, and we were talking about Clausewitz and the concepts and how we use. How we reflect that in games because it's we feel it's important. It's part of our DNA. And at the end of it, any questions, right? And the guy says to me, "I love what you've said about friction. I absolutely love it. You're absolutely right. I've read about it in history books." He said, "Is there any way I can include that in my games, but still be able to move all of my units all of the time when I want to? Because that's yeah. the type of game I like to play." Right? Okay, that's a bit like. 
having your cake and eating it. Yeah, I know, that's funny. I was a bit nonplussed by that. And it was my first time at Historicon and it was like, does not compute. And yeah. I didn't really know what to say. But yeah. It, I was, but that's, that's really what gamers want. They love the idea of being yeah. innovative. But a lot of people really don't want it. And a lot of people, when we first published our, our first rule set, were very, um, I feel threatened by it, which is why they really disliked it, because they thought, this, this is not what I think of as a game. Yep. And therefore, they were against it. But what we were doing was not trashing the joint intentionally. What we were doing is saying, let's have a look at it from a different angle. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I've talked a little bit about this on the show because... I love your uh, your aesthetic in games. I also love PK as well, you know, oh, which, yeah. again, kind of like rubs people the wrong way. And while, I don't know, I think there's probably some concepts that kind of overlap between, you know, these different systems. Obviously, yeah. they're still different. But, but again, yeah. like, I find the same thing. Whenever I've run a game, a field of battle or some kind of PK game, there's always mm. somebody that can't handle that they have lost control over some of their units, right? Like, yeah. And I think that's a Wargamer thing, right? They want to control every element of what they do, which is why I think like I go, you go type games are just so, it's just what a lot of people like. They want to do what they want to do, you know? It's what, it's what you're comfortable with, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of people which are guess, very, very comfortable with that. It's like, it's like an old pair of slippers. Yeah. You, you, you kick your shoes off when you get in from work and you put on your old pair of slippers. Yeah. They might be a bit ropey, but you love them. Uh, yeah, and I guess there's nothing wrong with that, you know. No, um, no, but, no but but here's the thing. Let's let's do a little. Hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna adjust my seat for a sec because I I do want to do a little bit of a deep dive. Now you can answer this question any way you want. I will. Um. Okay. So so Richard Clark, um, you're sitting down and you're working on some rules. Yeah. What do you find to be the most satisfying parts of a war game? Like, what are you really looking for when you are sitting down to design something, whether you're designing it on your own or with some some other folks at, you know, with uh, the two fat lardies? Um, I, might I know it's a doozy. This, yeah, I might be taking this question the wrong way, but I'll tell you no, why it's I okay. really... No, I'll tell you why I really enjoy. When we first... The, the early workshop sessions, when we first decide we're going to try a new period... Now, normally that begins with me painting up the armies. Um, okay. And I'll tend to paint both sides' armies until I get to the point where I go, right, I've just got enough to put on the game. And then we take them along, along to the club and I go, right, here's my army. Well, we set the table up. Here's my army. Here's your army. Now, how we, at what point does this army come on the table? What triggers these two armies coming on the table. Has anything happened beforehand that informs me about the decisions I make about where I deploy my troops? What are What's the background situation and how does that influence what's going to happen on the tabletop? And I really love those workshop sessions where we literally start with a blank sheet of paper and a pen and no preconceived ideas. I mean, literally no preconceived ideas about where we're going to get to. And we literally just, we could sit there and spend the whole evening talking about how we're going to deploy the troops on the table. But if you come away at the end of that, having really worked out what you think is plausible and interesting and informed, because what we're trying to do is mirror and mimic history, um, 
But equally, what we're attempting to do is to do that with mechanisms that are acceptable uh, to the, your average gamer, hobby gamer, right. rather than professional military gamers. Um, so I really love those workshop sessions. And it's you, I say yeah, there's no preconceived ideas, but we might go, right, how am I going to move? And you think, okay, well, in chain of command, I move like this. So let's try that. And then somebody go, yeah, but how about in... This other rule set why don't, that, that you've done. Why don't we? Why don't we try that? And and I really like those workshop sessions because it gets the creative juices flowing, right. um, and everybody is able to uh, make their contribution. It's very much a collective effort, and and I kind of I kind of like that idea of getting a load of different things thrown into the pot and then stirring it up and seeing what comes out. Yeah, and it sounds like narrative is really important to you. Like the story, yeah. the story leading up to the battle is really important. And I would say too, yeah. you know, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on every one of your games, but yeah. it does seem like there's a narrative even in the way the games often play, whether you're using cards like as yeah. um, a means of figuring out what happens next. And all of them are really <laughs> beautifully designed and all of them add a little bit of a sort of story element to, to what you're doing, which is really fun. Which is really what games should be, right? People should be having fun. Um, yeah, I think you know, when, when we when we started designing games, um, we're going back twenty five years nearly now. And and at the time, I mean, the first set of rules we published was called "I Ain't Been Shot, Mom," which yep. is World well Two Company level. And people said, "You yeah, well, why have you called it? I ain't been shot, Mom. It's a it's a stupid name." Well, mm -hmm. almost every other game that was out there twenty five years ago was called something like Panzer Reich Führer. And right. it was all—it was all very, you know. It was a bit of a shoddy political undertone, but but it wasn't an undertone. It was an undertone, overtone, and midtone. And yeah. I just, we just really weren't comfortable with that. And we just thought, right, well, we're going to call it that because it's it's it breaks it breaks the this ridiculous pattern of having these stupid names. And a lot of people got very upset about that. Um, right. There was a comment on one uh, hobby website that says, to, if, if you're into Two Fat Lardies games, you must be into free love and mind-bending drugs. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was such a great quote. I had it above, <laughs> on, the, on the wall above this my... It's actually a great quote. <laughs> ...for years it was, but that, that was how they were being sort of received, which uh, yeah. kind of made me laugh. So the, the idea that we break away from what has gone before, not to not to destroy it because we didn't think it was necessarily any good, but just to dare to be different, to think yeah. about it from a different perspective. And I think asking the question, why why is this army here? Rather than just saying, you've got 1,500 points, I've got 1,500 points, let's line them up, get them out of the toolbox that we carry them around in and mm -hmm. line them up and then advance to contact. We, right. we had a guy at our club who played a lot of DB whatever DB it was, yep. and it literally, the two lines used to advance into contact, and then the only decision you made was whether you started rolling the dice at that end or whether you started at that end. Yep. And it's like, we we don't want that. That's not what yeah. we want. We, we're very keen to to think about bigger issues. Yeah. Um, and I think the narrative stems from the fact that the games aren't just about line them up and let them go. Yeah, no, totally. And I think you you mentioned this word earlier, um, the idea of a game being asymmetrical. And I think that, the, yeah. uh, again, a lot of your rules are a bit like that, meaning 
even if the battles themselves are not particularly asymmetrical, um, yeah. just the idea of like one side going and then the other side going is not really a thing, I don't think, in really any of your rules, which I, again, I kind of appreciate. Um, and on that note, by the way, I think, you know, because I was going to ask you this question. Um, like, when you think of your own rule sets, like, which of your rule sets are the most popular, I guess you could say? And maybe we can get to that in a moment. I will kind of say what I see a lot of. I see yeah. a lot of what a tanker. Yeah. And oh, what a cowboy as well. I hope I'm getting both yeah. those. I think I got those titles right. A lot yeah. of people are playing those games. Yeah. Um. What do you think it is about those games that draws people to them? They're tremendously good convention games. Yeah. So they are really, really good for pick up and play. They, uh, I don't, I'm not being derogatory when I say they are beer and, pe and pretzels. You yeah. Can, but they do have a degree of sophistication in there in terms of hundred percent. Yeah. You, you've got decisions to make. How am I going to use this hand of dice? To, to get the best possible outcome in this turn. But they, they, they're, they're games that anybody can pick up and play after a five-minute introduction saying, hi, guys, get your tanks. What will happen is you roll a hand of dice and that tells you what you can do and let's get yep. playing. And right. that, that makes them really, really good at conventions. And that's where you see an awful lot of games uh, being played. And, yeah, they're very, very popular rule sets. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that, that works for us about them, being frank, is that you don't really have to support them with anything. It's a game mm -hmm. where you go, here you go, you've got your Cowboys, go and play. You, yep. I don't have to produce dozens of supplements and scenario booklets because the rule set does that for you. The same yeah. with what a tanker. It's, yeah. it's what we call a fire and forget rule set. We, right. we publish it, out it goes, and it's... It's a bit like one of those Christmas games that you get out when all the family comes around. You might not yeah. play for the whole rest of the year, but on high days and holidays and special occasions, and that includes war game shows and conventions, yeah. it's a great one for putting on the table. It's also a great one for getting people involved who've never played war games before. Yeah, no, totally. That completely makes sense. Mm. I completely get that. <laughs> the other rule set that I, I think of often, yeah. I mean, again, like, not to get controversial. It's funny. I was actually just talking to the Warlord guys yesterday. Uh -huh. Actually, like literally yesterday. But it's, I don't know. Like when I think of Warlord, a lot of times yeah. I think bolt action. When I think yeah. two fat lardies, a lot of times I go to Chain of Command, which is a great game. I played yeah. it many times. Um, yeah. I don't know. Would I mean, would you agree with that? I mean, like when you think about your own company, is it really Chain of Command that kind of comes up first or? Hopefully that's not literally a loaded question there. Because if it's not, no, 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 that's no, fine. no. I'm just trying to think about it and give you an honest answer. To, to yeah, sure. We we produce so many rule sets that um, um, I, I don't really think of as, as as I don't really think of one product, single product, as being the dominant one. It's interesting actually. Somebody asked me last week, "What's your biggest seller uh, selling rule set?" And I thought, oh, I've absolutely got no idea. I, yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't run the business like that. I, yeah. But I, I did a search and I had mm -hmm. a look for the last 12 months and where we are in December, it's brilliant because I can do 2023 and it pretty much gives me the figures. The biggest selling rule set um, uh, in 2023, sharp practice. Really? Second biggest selling rule set in 2023, chain of command. No, okay, gotcha. No, gotcha. Yes. Yeah, I don't know they're why. They're the two heavyweights. They're yeah. the two heavyweights. And again, you know, 
I have to say, this is a compliment, right? I didn't mm. even think of sharp practice, even though, again, I know so many people that play that game. That's one yeah. I've actually never played before. I have never oh. played that particular rule set, um, which I'll have to change, you know, at some point or another so that I will still, I'll still be admired, I guess, in your eyes. <laughs> what I like about sharp practice, yeah, sure. everybody thinks it's a fun beer and pretzels game, but actually... Uh, there's a lot more to it. it uh, we we decided at the very outset that what we were going to try and do would, was be to create games that would encourage people to um, to learn a bit about history as they went, using the games as a learning tool. But what we didn't want to do was tell them they were going to be learning about history because if sure. you tell anybody that, they go, hey, I just want to play a game. I don't yep. want to so it's a bit like my dog. My dog is mad. He's crazy. Right. And he gets a mad tablet every morning that stops him, <laughs> stops him axing everybody to death within, right. you know. And so, but if you say to him, hey, Freddie, come and get your mad tablet, he'll go, right. I ain't eating no mad tablet. Right. So what you've got to do is you've got to cut up a bit of sausage and drill a hole in it and put the mad right. tablet in the sausage. And yeah, then totally. You it, then you give it to Freddie. And that's that's like wargamers. You've got to give them the history, but you've got to give them the sausage. No, totally, dude. I, Richard, I'm a teacher. I completely understand what you mean. Yeah. Believe me. By the way, is your dog actually named Freddy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a He's, very human name. I appreciate yeah. that actually. Well, I name I always I name all my dogs after Prussian kings. Oh, come on. My, my first, our first dog was William, and he was black, yeah. and white, which is the color of the flag of Prussia, and yeah. Freddy. Black and white as well, so he's. That's a, so funny. I guess the next one will be Frederick William. I mean, I guess yeah, you're gonna have to. I mean, you know, you're you're. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a little tight on names, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's really funny? You keep referring to your rules as beer and pretzels, but I I don't see them that way at all. I mean, look, here's the thing. This is this is my take on any good game, right? Hmm. I think I understand what you mean. Like mechanically, a lot of your games are very simple, right? But it's the decisions, like the decision-making is not simple in any way, shape, or form. So like when I think beer and pretzels, I think like one-page rules. You don't have to put much no. thought into it. You just roll your dice. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see your games that way at all. Okay, interesting That's point. a compliment, well, by the way. Yeah, no, no, thank you. I, 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 and, and to be fair, when I said beer and pretzels, I was probably thinking about what, what a tanker and what a cowboy as opposed yeah. to going to come on. But I think what... Um, uh, what we uh, what we attempted to do with the rules is to create decision making points in there, right? And uh, that was that's very much a design a design decision based on the fact that what what I find a bit mundane in in many war games rules I played as a kid was that well I, I'm going to activate this unit. It's obvious what it should do. It should advance. Yeah. It should shoot, and that's kind of. And you think, actually, why am I here? The game can do this without sure. me. And what we wanted to do was introduce command decisions that approximated the range of command decisions that a commander would have historically. And I think that that is um, that, that we, we, we fail to a degree in that we cannot replicate exactly the command decisions that a leader has to make, but we can approximate them yep. and we can create enough decision-making choices. It's a bit like that chart. You come to this point, do you do yes or no, and then yes yeah. or no. I can't remember the name of the chart. Um, but um, you know what I mean. So it's I making do know what you mean, yeah. decisions. It's making those decisions that makes the game interesting. 
Um, yeah. And that's what we've attempted to do um, with all of our rule sets, is to approximate that. Even if it's imperfect, we accept the imperfection and and the fact that you are being encouraged to make decisions makes the game interesting in itself. Right. No, totally. And I, 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 the part I agree with the most about what you just said is the idea of decision making. And I see this with my students all the time because I, so again, this is not about me, but you know, I, I teach a class on the history of warfare, a whole bunch of different ones, right? I'm very lucky in that sense, you know, and we have a game that we play pretty much every unit, you know, Mm -hmm. and what the kids will often tell me the best games are the ones where they really have to stretch their brain in order to figure out what to do next. That's what they like. And again, It could be really hard explaining that to war gamers, if I can just be blunt. You know, a lot of times I think war gamers think, you know, if you're going to get new kids into the hobby or new people into the hobby, it's all about the beautiful figures, the beautiful table. And don't get me wrong, it can be important, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think that's usually what young people are looking for. Young people are looking for a challenge. They want to be challenged. You know? I totally agree, and it's interesting that you see, you go to a lot of conventions or you, you, you hear about people putting games on for school-age children, and they what they think that they have to do is to produce a dumbed-down game, right. which is really, really simple. In fact, that's completely the reverse of what you need to do. The right. people that we find uh, pick up things like Chain of Command or Sharp Practice the, the, the quickest, are people who've never played a war game before and and youngsters because they have no preconceived ideas. They don't go, hey, a war game shouldn't work like that. Right, you're totally right. That's how it works, away we go. Yeah. And they're they're, they're clever, they're bright. Yeah, no, absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, the kids I've taught in my my day and age, um, you know, know, the 20 years I've been been working as a teacher, they're smart people. Mm. And I think it's all about how you teach it. Like, we were just talking about this the other day, again, um, it just so happens I've done a lot of podcasts the last couple of days and we were talking to some of the Warlord guys about a very similar topic, like where it's all about how you teach the game, right? You know, anybody, if you sit and explain every nuance of your game for 45 minutes, you're going to lose your audience, you know, especially yeah, yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah, so you just yeah. kind of got to get yeah. them going, you know? I don't, so, know about, I don't know how you feel about this one, but my experiences of running, running, running games at conventions or I guess running games, what I what I never do is, is give give people a set of the rules um, because I find that they, rather looking at the game, they're looking at the rules. So yep. what I do as umpire, games master, call it what you will, what I do is I say, right, okay, now it's your turn. These are your choices. This is what you can do. You can do this, 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 or this. And then they go, okay, I've got that. They're not trying to feed them all the rules. You're just giving them a tiny little saucer full of rules that they can, a bit like yeah. a dim sum of war game rules. They yeah. can just pick at it, consume it, make their decisions. And then you go on to the next time they're activated and they go, hey, I'm going to do this. And they pick that bit up. And it's yep. only when you get to the third or fourth turn where you go, actually, now, rather than doing A, B, or C, you could now try doing D. How do you feel about that? And by doing it that way, it's you're rather than force feeding them a whole giant 32 ounce steak, you're just giving them a tiny bit and they yep. find it a lot easier to consume it that way. So I agree. I agree completely. Mm-hmm. And I and I agree mostly because you're describing my job. Because <laughs> when you're in front of a group of kids, mm. the number one thing you don't do 
at the beginning of class overload them with 18,000 yeah. directions, right? Exactly. So you have to pace things. And just like you're, you're, you're talking about, like, let's say here, let's, uh, I'm going to do this kind of off the top of my head. All right, ready? Let me see if I can do this, Richard. Okay, okay, so let's see. The last topic that we spent a bit of time covering in my with my ninth graders, so these are like 14 to 15-year-olds, we were doing, um, like, I teach world history, so we were doing, like, Congress of Vienna stuff, right? Okay. So it's almost like when I'm teaching that, I'm not, you know, laying out 18 packets for them and giving mm. them 20 minutes of directions and then expecting them to remember all of that. It's like, okay, go do your thing. It's more like, okay, first thing we'll do is we'll look at a quote by Clemens von Metternich and let's see what we can learn about the Congress of Vienna by looking at that quote. And when that's done, you move on and you get more um, you mm. get more specific as you go, you know? So I completely agree with you. And, and, and I by, guess that allows yeah, I guess that allows you, depending on what, how you're reading the room, whether you go broader or you go more 100%. 100%. Yeah. Just like running a game because yeah. – and look, you know, and I don't mean to be mean here, right? Because mm. you know what? Like there are plenty of things I'm not good at in life, right? Look, I mean sometimes you get a, a group of people together and you can mm. notice immediately, all right, in this war game, I could really ratchet it up. And sometimes, yeah. you know, depending on who those folks are, like you might yeah. have to really go slow. And yeah, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Nothing but, wrong with that at all. You know, everybody's uh, a little different. That's a skill. That's a skill that you have, and that's what that's what's making it work for them. I mean, yeah. it, and it would be the same if you were running a line dance session with a load of new a new class of line dancers. Some of them might go, "Hey, I can do all that," and others yeah. might go, "I haven't got a clue." And you just yeah, have totally. to read, read what's happening and then adapt what you're what you're presenting to suit the target audience. Yeah. No. Totally. You know. So I have a. I, I wanted to just. Because again, I'm just looking at the time. You know, we probably have another 10 or 15 minutes because again, you know, I'm sure you have plenty to do today, you know. So without being too controversial, there is something I did want to sort of mention, you know. And I'm going to try to frame this in a way that's kind of positive, right? Because here's the thing. Hmm. Um, years ago, I mean, I used to read the miniatures page all the time, like a lot, you know. Um, and there was a time where... Uh, it was such a productive place. Hmm. And I don't know, like, I still go on here and there. And what I what I was thinking a little bit about before starting this interview is kind of like the stance you took a number of years ago about some of the crazy stuff that happens on that page. Hmm. And I, I just wanted to say, like, I really appreciated that you sort of stood up to some of the crazy things that people say and do on that page. I just really appreciated it. And maybe for our audience, um, you know, you don't have to go into the, you know, grim, dark details of this, but um, you can explain whatever you want from, from your side. Cause like I said, I did admire what you and, you know, the TFL folks did. Um, well, uh, for, for me, one of the most important things, and I, I, I bang this drum the whole time. I'm, 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 I'm a bit like, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the preacher man going round shouting to the folk coming out of the saloon, telling them to, the, 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 you know, to change their ways. But I, what I, the message I constantly try and get out there is that if the hobby is going to develop and survive, we need to make it a place that is welcoming. We need to make it a place that is attractive. We need to make our games attractive. We need to make our rules attractive. We need to make the people running those games at conventions open to having youngsters coming into their game, having women coming into their game, having people of no particular gender or whatever coming into yeah. their 
they don't because the key thing is we're all war gamers. Yep. It doesn't it doesn't matter what your background is, but if you are playing a war game with other people, they're war gamers, and the fact that they're fellow war gamers is what we should be focused on. And yeah. um, the one of the things that that I found um, frustrating was that um, uh, I mean, you've named the website. There were there were situations there where. Um, there was a lot of bullying going on uh, in my perception. And yeah. my feeling was that um, uh, th that was a negative influence on the hobby. And yeah. what, what happened was that we, we published a set of rules called um, uh, Infamy, Infamy. Mm -hmm. And it brought the whole thing to a head. Infamy, Infamy is a quote from a, a British comedy film called um, Carry On Cleo, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And it's one of the Carry On series. I don't know if people in the States are familiar with them, but it's um, it, it's real tongue-in-cheek British 1960s humour where right. double entendres are, are the king. And having grown up in that era, I love double entendres. They're, they're really fun. So the, the quote is, infamy, infamy. They've all got it, infamy. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we published that rule set, and we we had a, I was I hadn't been banned from the site at that point in time, but we had we had some people going on there simply asking the question, saying, "Anybody know about this rule set? Anybody know what's happening?" And they were being banned from the website for asking. Right. Um, and so I went on there and I said, "Look, I'd really suggest I posted on my social media. Look, please don't." go and ask questions on TMP. It's obviously upsetting the management that you're asking and right. so on and so forth. And then it really, it all got a bit heated and I was accused of, um, I was accused of lying. And I had sent the guy who runs that site a, a, an email a year or so before saying, look, you know, I think really there could be ways that the website could be more positive rather than saying, what rules do you hate? Why not ask what rules do you like? Yeah, um, you know, why not? Why not look at making things more positive? And that my email was published selectively to try and make me out. And in fact, the term being used was a snowflake. Yeah. Uh, now, anybody who knows me knows that I'm no snowflake. So right. I, I, I posted on there. Hold on a minute. That email has been selectively redacted, so right. that the, the, it's distorting what I'm saying. And in yeah. fact, here's here's the real, here's the full email that says what I'm saying. And the whole thing really was about, for God's sake, can we try and make the hobby more more positive? Yeah, no, totally, totally. And look, here's the thing, you know, um, and I, I really do mean this. I it's huh? not my intent to be controversial, like you know, at at all. Um but I guess from my point of view, I agree in the sense that, look, here's the thing. The vast majority of people that go on there are completely well-intentioned and well-meaning. That's the funny part. I still go on there on occasion to get some tips and things like yeah. that, you know? Um, and at the same time, too, it's like, look, I mean, it is an open forum. You can kind of say what you want. However, what I felt uncomfortable with a lot was, you know, I'd have students on occasion be like, yeah, I'm going to go check this website out. And my fear always was, you know, and you, this is going to make sense to you. It's like some of those email threads, or I should say forum threads, where it's like, you know, somebody posts a photo of something they painted and then mm. somebody posts about the button being the wrong color or the button being on the wrong mm. side of the uniform and then it just devolves from that and it's like into just nastiness. And for me, mm. 
it's, I hate to say it, but it's a little bit like when I've taken students to wargaming conventions. Again, a lot of wargamers are really great, but there are certain folks where it's like, I really don't want my students around you. And in no. the same sense, I no. don't want my students reading this because no. exactly for what you're saying, it's just, it almost yeah. makes us look bad. It makes us look like weirdos and warmongers. And it was just always so uncomfortable. So again, um, I'm not saying that the miniatures page is the devil or anything like that, but I did appreciate the fact that you kind of took a stance, you know, forgetting about the advertising bit. Like I really mean just the points that you made about let's make this hobby a little bit more marketable because we all know that while gaming is growing, uh, it can be a little bit hard to get younger folk involved. And we certainly aren't going to get younger folk involved presenting ourselves that way. Do you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. I was reading a piece in the in the newspaper today talking about how in businesses, uh, the baby boomers and Gen X are having real problems communicating with um, with younger people in the workplace because they, they you know, Gen Z, Gen Z, I guess you guys would call it, yeah. uh, have got a different mindset and a different approach. And what concerns me is that we want to go to places where young people trying to take their first steps in the hobby are going to be welcomed. I mean, I have to say, it's so long ago, I can't remember the precise details. And I'm also yep. banned from the site, so I can't go back there right. and have a look at what's said. And that's fine, because do you know why I, I really don't care? It's because when I made that, that, when I stood up and made that statement, I felt that that was a place where lots of people went and it was their first point of contact with the hobby. I don't think it is anymore. No, it's I think not. It's I, I think it's. I think it's a place that's a bit of a backwater where people can go there and uh, and 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 come out with any kind of ideas they want, and it doesn't really it doesn't really affect the hobby as a whole. Yeah. So. Um, it, it's the thing I made a stance on was I was surprised at some of the companies who were advertising on there because I felt that they wouldn't necessarily want their brand attached to some of the statements that were being made by some of the people on there. But yeah, that, that's that's a long ago in the history, and yeah, I, no, I, totally, I kind of moved on from that. But no, it is totally really important. It's really important that the hobby, if the hobby is going to survive and flourish. It needs to be more welcoming and more inclusive. And and I think in the UK, we seem to be slightly better off because we've got that club network, because we're all packed in a bit closer. People are, it's a lot more easy for people to congregate somewhere locally and play games. Whereas yeah. in the States, you guys rely an awful lot on gaming in your basement, yeah. gaming hobby stores. Um, and gaming at conventions. Yes. And, and the, one of the problems that you, you've kind of got is that the conventions happen behind closed doors. It's quite difficult for, for a dad and his son or daughter or mum and the son and daughter to walk in off the high street and go, hey, look at this. Whereas we tend to, we tend to have our war game shows rather more openly in at more, slightly more accessible places. And I think the result of that is that we're getting a, a more of a um, uh, uh, an injection of younger gamers coming to the hobby. Yeah. Um, and what concerns me is that if if you are limiting the number of people who can who are ever going to make contact with you, you need to make damn sure they have a really good positive experience, be that online or be that at a convention. Go. Yeah, totally. I think the word that I would use about the difference between. <clears throat> 
English and Scottish mm. and Welsh mm. wargaming clubs versus a lot of what you see in the United States, it almost feels more community driven. Do you know well, what I mean? Yeah, that, yeah. That's the word I would use. Because now, don't get me wrong. Like in the United States, there are definitely some places, like there are some stores that I noticed that really go out of their way to make their store community-based where you're getting people yeah. from the neighborhood essentially. But I just think it's it's just different, you know? I think it's the war gaming culture is different overseas, it's, you know? It, it's very different because actually when, when you have a club that is not really a club but based around a, a, a gaming store, there's a huge incentive for the gaming store to be pushing those gamers towards the products that they have on their shelves because they want them to, to do competitions because that right. gets people in in huge numbers. We don't do we don't do competitive gaming. We're not into yeah. it. Not into it. We don't produce figures, so we're not going to be on those shelves. So, right. in terms of when you have gaming based around those gaming stores they tend not to be playing now this is a generalization because the ex there are exceptions but the exception tends to prove the rule there you are limiting the punters to the type of games and the number of games they're going to be exposed to whereas right. in the local club very much as i was saying earlier with my experience it's not you're not quite as cocooned now um in in the post-internet age um, yeah People still play what their mates play locally, but I think we tend to see that less of an emphasis on on competitions here, and we yeah. then tend to see more of a variety of rules being played at local clubs than you would see in a game store. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then at the same time, too, like you do have like some pretty sizable war game shows where you kind of bring everybody in. Like, for example, uh, Salute, which I'm I'm actually going to go this year. I'm going to be part yeah. of the media team, which is going to be really fun. Right. Um, are you guys going to be there? Oh, yeah. But that's a good example. You won't see any competition gaming at Salute. Yeah. It's no. more just bringing everybody together. I think yeah. that's kind of the point. Right. No, that's great, yeah. you know? Yeah, we'll be there. We're going to have a large zone. We, I think we've got four games in the large zone, so... Well, I'm going to come and harass you, clearly. I mean, <laughs> you know... Hopefully, though, based on my comments today, uh, hopefully the uh, miniatures page people don't follow me over there. I hope I didn't upset anybody. I'm just being honest. Like I said, it's yeah, not yeah. about – it's to me, the reason I even brought it up, it's not uh, about the miniatures page being bad. It's mm -hmm. more like I admire you for mm -hmm. using the word inclusivity when it comes to gaming. That's really it. That's really what it comes down to. You know, To me, I'm outside of the whole advertising thing. That's not my yeah, realm. Yeah. But like mm – -hmm. You know, us as a community of gamers being more welcoming to people, whatever mm. color they are or whatever they believe or yeah, whatever, yeah. doesn't matter to me. Doesn't Just matter. getting more people, right, it doesn't matter. Getting more no. people in the room matters, you know? So yeah, yeah. I do, I definitely appreciate that. So, by the way, on that note, like just in terms mm. of like as we're kind of getting to that time where we want to wrap up, what mm. do you have going on? Like, what is, the, what are the next few months for you look like? Not even necessarily from a business perspective, but like, are you working on any new miniatures or? Are you kind of formulating some ideas for new rules or anything like that? Mm, yeah, well, we've got we've got several rule sets which uh, which are coming. To, well, several products which are coming to fruition. We've got okay. General Armay, which is uh, written by Dave Brown, uh, the second edition of that. Which because uh, Two Fat Lardies has got Rise of Express, which is a sister company, yeah. and we I've been heavily involved in them in the last last year. So right. General Armay, a Napoleonic classic, big battles. That's going to be coming out in the new year. Midgard, yeah. which is um, a sort of dark age, middle ages, fantasy, battle gaming. Um, 
written by a guy called James Morris. That's yep. uh, that's just about to go to the layout studio to do that. We've got that's the awesome. handbook for chain of command um, for the Far East. Um, and following on from that, we're going to have the Pacific Theatre. <clears throat> um, yeah, so we've got absolutely loads of stuff coming That's awesome. Through. You also work with so many interesting people. Like I know I've heard a lot of – I think you mentioned Dave Brown, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard a lot about him as an author. <clears throat> and then obviously Mark um, – who was actually like one of the one of the people that mentioned you when I was sort of like ah you know okay. like who who would be an interesting yeah. Uh, yeah. interesting uh, you know interview so you have a well, really Mark, nice group um, of guys. Mark produced a really exciting set of rules with strength and honor. Yeah, and, and it's I felt it was one of those products that uh, um, really really deserved to to be out there, but but probably wouldn't be that appealing to one of the large publishing houses because they're right. looking for. A slightly different product. Um, I think it's probably wouldn't be unfair to say they are less likely to take a chance on something which is um, moves slightly away from the norm. Yeah. And the idea of doing big battles in two mil or three mil or six mil is not what they're the, the big publishing houses are looking for. So yeah. I was really proud to be able to work with Mark to get strength and honor yeah. through to publication, which is which is excellent. We're actually we've actually got Lard magazine. We we publish a magazine once a year, a PDF magazine, which is coming out uh today actually, after we finish this conversation. That's yeah. 250 pages of articles, scenarios. Cool. Rule sets, canari uh, scenarios. So we've got what a gangster in that. If you fancy doing Al Capone's guns, don't argue. We've got yeah. what a gangster in That's there. That's cool. And it, yeah, it's it's, it's very uh, exciting. Access it, well, look, so. I mm. mean, again, you know, I I always have to be careful because I I, I mm. try to not necessarily. I don't know. I don't. I don't like swelling the egos of my uh, guests too much. But I say this all the time that I really only bring on the people that I want to talk to. It's very impressive, like everything that you guys are doing. I mean, such a prolific amount of rules. You're really just putting out so much material out there for people to gobble up, and I think that's really great. So, thank you. Well, we we we're very careful that it's still a hobby. It's not. It's not yeah. a job. It's a hobby, and then it kind of is a job a bit on the back of that. But the thing yeah. we really love about wargaming is the wargaming and yeah. the opportunity to develop new ideas is. Uh, something that we really, yeah. really enjoy. Um, no, very cool. Well, look, Richard, I really appreciate the fact that you're willing to come on. I'm also, hopefully we get to meet in person. Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That would be great. Um, I'll, I'll definitely have to come by and, you know, we're going to be podcasting on site, I'm pretty sure. So like we're going to be doing interviews and things like that. So it'll be a lot of fun to meet. Well, I, I feel like I know every war gamer in England at this point. I feel like I've had all of you guys on. Um, There's only 12 of us. No, I know. But even after the scathing, I don't know if you listened to the Napoleon episode, but I've been very fearful that I offended your entire island. You know, with all that well, British stuff, you know, in Waterloo at uh, the Napoleon uh, movie. Oh, God. I, I intentionally haven't watched that yet because don't watch the it. guys from our club are going to see Napoleon at the cinema in the, oh, the second week of January. So yeah. I haven't watched any podcasts because I decided to, to keep an open mind yeah. for well, don't hate me after you see the yeah. movie. If you watch the movie and then listen to the podcast, don't hate me, you know, so. <laughs> I have told them that I, I'm meeting them in the pub two hours beforehand, so I'm hoping that I will be kind of immune to whatever in the film it, it upsets most That's people. That's funny. So, 
<laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Well, look, on that note, uh, it was an absolute delight talking to you, okay? Oh, great pleasure to come on. Thank Indeed. you very much. And for all our listeners out there, um, again, you know, just Google two fat lardies. Normally, I ask the guests to kind of plug like where to go, but this is a group that is so like at the forefront of everything we do as miniature war gamers that honestly, all you really need to do is hit two fat lardies into Google and you're going to get a million hits. Right? Is that fair, Richard? T-W-O, though. Two as in I'm too fat, not yes. two fat blokes. Yes, Although indeed. We are two fat blokes, but... <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, everybody. So uh, don't forget, in terms of our sponsorship, you know, we are doing advertising now. I'm sure you heard the clip at the very beginning of this podcast. Remember, uh, if you are a person that just simply needs somebody to talk to in a mental health sense... Uh, it doesn't have to be about a catastrophe. It could just literally be somebody to talk to once a week. Don't forget who our sponsor is, BetterHelp. Um, and all that information can be found in our uh, you know, podcast notes. And I hope all of you have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20-sided Gamified podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org. My Instagram handle is HMGS underscore NextGen underscore Inc. Until next time, be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.